0: Welcome in, everyone. I'm Larry H. Russell. Happy Labor Day weekend from us here at CLNS Radio. Today is going to be a very special show. The 2014-15 NBA season is about to begin. Can you believe this? We're getting ready for NBA training camps to open and yet another exciting NBA season. But we here at Celtics Speed had an unbelievable run over this past year. We've launched mobile apps, we acquired channels on iTunes and Stitcher, we became the highest rated podcast on the web that covers the Boston Celtics, and we cannot thank our listeners enough for that. And oh yeah, we were extremely fortunate to be joined by an incredible cast of guests inside the NBA world. Unfortunately, our show was only an hour, so it was tough to pick the best ones. And yes, these may not be the best interviews. We've had certainly so much to choose some, so it's virtually impossible to pick out three of the best to cram in a 60-minute show. But as we get ready for the 2014 NBA campaign, just like Labor Day weekend is unofficially the end of summer and everybody gets their last vacations in here in Massachusetts, running to Maine, going down to the Cape, we're going to use this show to close the book on this stellar 2013-14 NBA season covering the Boston Celtics in 60 minutes every single weekend. So up first, let's go right to Jeff Goodman of ESPN.
1: Our special guest today, uh, it is ESPN draft expert, draft, yeah, NBA draft analyst, uh, Jeff Goodman. Jeff, thanks for calling us today. We appreciate it.
2: No problem, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on.
1: Yeah, uh, so I mean, let's just dig right into this and get this out of the way. Uh, what do you, what do you think is happening here as far as the draft is concerned? Um, the uh, the big five prospects that you have always, have always known about: Wiggins, Parker, Randall, Smart, Exum. Those guys are are playing pretty well. They're they're sort of getting into their groove. Uh, but there are a, a couple other names that are coming out,
2: or a handful of other names anyway. Is this
1: draft? class getting deeper as we see the season go along.
2: It's really strong at the top or certainly a lot stronger than it's been in recent years. You know, top 6 7 players um and you're starting to see some other guys emerge as well. It, it's a it's a stronger, deeper draft. I'm not sure if there's a you know, LeBron, a Kevin Durant, a Chris Paul, somebody of that nature that can completely change your franchise. I, I think Andrew Wiggins is a guy that we'll have to wait and see cuz his upside is so high. Uh, I love Jabari Parker from Duke. I think he's a guy that can be a, you know, 17 and seven guy uh, in the league pretty quickly, and, and help be a, you know, I, I think there's a lot of number two guys. Uh, I'm not sure. Again, I think Jabari could be a Paul Pierce type of player in terms of his impact.
1: Rich, you have anything for him right now?
3: Um, yeah, a couple other names that I see kind of creeping into the the conversation with kind of um, are you know guys like Joel Embiid in in Kansas, the the big guy, and then another name I'm starting to hear is uh, Zach Levine, a point guard from um, UCLA. I mean, did, did any of those guys realistically have a chance to kind of crack into that upper group with the uh, the five that we've already mentioned?
2: I, I think it's two right now. I think there's a you know it's Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker. Parker, to me, are one and two. And then there's a next tier, and and that next tier is, you know, Julius Randle, uh, a, a 6'9", 250-pound physical specimen, a freshman at Kentucky. Joel Embiid, who's a skilled seven-footer uh, at Kansas. Dante Exum, who you guys mentioned earlier, is kind of a combo guard from Australia who looks to be going to the league. Uh, he may still talk a little bit about going to college, but I think – From everything my sources have told me, he's leaning towards going to the NBA draft. You obviously have Marcus Smart. You have Aaron Gordon at Arizona, who's kind of a combo forward right now. Uh, Noah Vonley. So there's a lot. Zach Levine, I think, is fighting his way from behind. He's shot the ball extremely well so far. He's a guy a lot of people didn't know much about. UCLA freshman, really athletic wing. You know, he could climb into that mix. Uh, We'll see. It's still a long season for a guy like that. But I think there's probably again, you know, Wiggins, Parker, Randall, Embiid, Exum, Smart, to me, are the clear top six today. And then there's another tier of, you know, Aaron Gordon, Noah Vonley, Willie Cauley Stein, a seven-foot shot blocker from Kentucky. And we haven't really talked about some of the other, you know, if, if there are some other international guys that could maybe crack the top ten, but. You know, I, I, Again, I think the top six is where the draft is at, and, and I think that's where you get scared right now if you're a Boston Celtics fan, because uh, frankly, right. they're nowhere near that top six.
1: Right, yeah. And Jeff, I was going to say, people out there listening might be thinking, well, why are you guys talking about the top five or top six? Because uh, if the Celtics continue to play the way they've been playing and the rest of the East continues to be terrible, yeah. uh, they are not going to even be in the lottery, and they will be picking from the middle, so... Uh, are there players out there in the middle or do you, do you think the Celtics may be able to, to trade up uh, in this draft? Of course, they'll be looking to do something like that, but first are there players that you might see in the middle that could contribute to this team next year. Uh, if everybody else is healthy and still around.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's guys in the middle that, and Danny has done a great job of evaluating guys over the years. He's out there, uh, He's that's probably one of his biggest strengths, to be honest. But you know, the other thing is, for Celtics fans, you're still 11 and 14. Okay, you're. It's not like right now you're you're you know 10 games in front. I mean, if you look at where let's say right. Brooklyn is today, you're, you're three games basically or two games over Brooklyn. Uh, you know, the Knicks. They look like a train wreck right now. You're only about four games ahead of the Knicks who are towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So, all it's going to take, all it's going to take is one bad stretch. You know, one uh, you know, one five-game losing streak and you're going to go from where you're, I think what are they? The number 4 seed right now in the East.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Something like that.
1: You but you yeah, go so, but, from the, a
2: terrible record. <laughs> yeah, you could go from the 4 seed to a team that is in the equation for one of the, you know, top draft picks in the span of 2 weeks. So that's why, you know, they still need to be talking draft. And, you know, obviously with, with Rondo coming back, how does that change the the entire complexion of this thing? Remember, their, their record last year with Rondo, I believe, I could be wrong, was worse than it was without him.
3: Yeah, so, I think that, again, that absolutely is correct. Something
2: to think about. That's all. I, listen, I'm not the biggest Rondo fan. I never have been uh, just because, again, I think he, he over-dribbles – Uh, he's not a great shooter. I don't think he defends like he used to. He's a very good player when he wants to be, and and he's not a leader. And that's going to be the key for this team is how do they, how do they react? How do these young guys react? Uh, when Rondo is on the team, how does Jordan Crawford react to, to playing a role, a more minimal role again?
3: Yeah, we talked about that in in the first segment, and to me, that's one of the the most interesting storylines to play out over the next eight to twelve weeks. Is you know, with, when Rondo comes back, you know, what happens with uh, with Jordan Crawford? Does he get moved? Does you know? Does he make Rondo not expendable, but but at least a, a trade more more palatable, or does trade he slide them. into a slightly yeah. different role? Yeah.
2: To me, I think you definitely trade one of them because you know Jordan Crawford's value will never be higher than it is today or yep. in a month. And it depends what you can get for him. You know, there might be a team that really likes Jordan Crawford right now, a contending team, and maybe somebody gets hurt for that contending team going down the stretch. And, you know, you can really get something for him. So I think that's certainly worth it. And I think they'll certainly explore the opportunities with Rondo once he gets back and uh, shows whether he's healthy or not.
1: Well, Jeff, speak, speaking of trades real quick, uh, tomorrow is the day that teams can start to trade the players that they've acquired in the off season. Uh, if, if I remember correctly. so what? And I mentioned trading up in the draft. Is there much talk that you know of at this point in the season about tr- trading for draft picks or uh, moving up in the draft? We've already seen Toronto shift Rudy Gay off, so they seem to be sort of giving up on their season already. Is that a, kind of an anomaly? Are teams trying to play hard, or are they talking draft trades right now?
2: Well, I think it's hard to, to plan that way because you look at teams right now and you say to yourself, all right, if, if I'm going to trade for a draft, how do I know where this team's going to be? I mean, the Phoenix Suns are 13-9 and nine right now. I mean, the Phoenix Suns, I repeat, are 13-9 and nine right yeah, now.
1: It's so, it's so what early. Is,
2: what, yeah, what does that tell you? You know, you, you may think you're trading uh, for a team that's going to be in the lottery in a, in a good spot, and right now, uh, again – you know, a lot can change. So I think you might see, you know, teams trade for draft picks in the future, or, or, or try to, but to, to put, you know, to trade a guy right now for, uh, I guess it's rolling the dice. I mean, that's the one thing you do right now is, you know, if, if you can, you know, Denver's 13-9 and nine right now. So, you know, do you say to yourself, hey, I'm going to roll the dice and, and try to get Denver's first-round draft pick and, and just kind of You know, hope that the Nuggets are going to free fall in in the second half of the season because, frankly, they don't have a lot of talent. There just aren't a lot of great teams in the NBA right now. I mean, you're seeing it. You know, again, you're seeing it with the Celtics record. You're seeing it with what the Suns are doing uh, with some of these teams and their records. And I mean, even a Lakers team that hasn't had Kobe, they're two games under 500, right on the verge of the playoffs. There's a lot of bad teams out there and a lot of mediocre players, and that's why, you know, it's funny when I hear it, this season a lot about, well, the draft isn't that good. It's Everybody's overrating these guys, Jabari Parker and Julius Randle. And and I say to them, well, watch the NBA. Because there really aren't a lot of great players right now in the NBA. There really aren't. I mean, a lot of the, the really good ones are either hurt, uh, older, and, and we're kind of seeing a change of the guard right now. And there's a few elite ones that you know are going to come out every night. But look at what LaMarcus Aldridge is doing out in Portland. I mean, he's dominating and nobody thought, you know, I've seen LaMarcus play since he was 15 years old and watched him over the years. And I, I love LaMarcus, but I never thought he'd be doing this and dominating NBA games and, and Portland have them in a position where they're one of the best teams in the league. Uh, he's a very good player. But, again, I think you, you watch him, you watch Dwight Howard, what he does. Is Dwight Howard really that good? No, I think it's a, there just aren't a lot of really good big guys out
1: there. I agree there. He just I agree there
2: can't score. I mean, he still can't score in the post. He's got no, no post move moves. other than overpowering people. That's all Go he ahead, does. So, anyway, that's yeah, my, my yeah. spiel for that.
3: Yeah, completely agree, Jeff. I mean, it seems like at least, you know, half or maybe even as many as three-quarters of the teams in the league aren't sure yet whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that seems to stand out to me is, you know, you've got some teams that clearly – seem like they have, you know, less interest in being competitive Utah despite their record. You know, Phoenix seems to be, you know, um, trying to line up for a lottery pick and You know, earlier you mentioned the Celtics being kind of uh, afraid of of where they are right now and getting kind of shut out of that top six. I I wonder if if there's kind of a a market inefficiency out there right now with so many teams pointed at this draft. Does it really make sense to, you know, ship away assets for, you know, a chance at one of these guys, particularly if you're now bringing a 19-year-old into you know what will, will effectively be a losing environment, and you know it's it's dangerous to try to read Danny Hage's mind as we all know, but I don't think he's all too eager for the Celtics to you know really bottom out and maximize the number of ping pong balls they have if if it happens it happens and and you know he'll he'll deal with it, but I think he's you know really i I love the idea that that, that you talked about you know taking a bet on a team like Denver and trying to you know make a deal to get a a, a pick from them that seems like the type of of move that you know um has low risk high reward and the type of thing an age might be looking at
2: Yeah, and I think you just continue to you know get assets, you know, stockpile assets and those are in the draft and uh you kind of see what happens with some of these young guys and how they emerge. You know, Jared Saunders played well enough, you want him to be a keeper, but again, I don't think anybody is untradeable on this team. Nobody I mean, you've got to look at every single person on this team and what can you get for them and and how can you get that superstar? Because frankly, that's what they are. They're, they're at least one player away from that superstar. You know, Jared Sollinger is a good piece, you know, probably a good starting four man on a team that can, you know, give you a, a consistent, you know, 12 and seven on a good team, on a, on a good playoff team. And, you know, Kelly Olenek can be a good first guy off the bench, I think, and, you know, Rondo Rondo's the the key for this team though. You know, does he buy in as a leader? Do you build around Rondo? Do you get enough? You know, can you get enough for Rondo to pull the trigger and trade him? Because if not, you've got to keep him and you've got to try to build around him. And I think right. Brad Stevens, and this is my biggest question when they hired Brad, was could he handle Rondo? Could he handle a guy like that who frankly has not been well liked by Tubby Smith and Doc Rivers? So could Brad who's dealt with a lot of the highest of high character kids at Butler and low maintenance kids at Butler deal with a guy like Rondo and that that's going to be the question here is can Brad just kind of you know deal with deal with him hand him the keys and let him go and will Rondo be happy and will everybody else fall in line that that'll be the interesting thing because if that's the case you might be one major piece away but if you deal Rondo well then you're kind of starting over and you're going to need you know, you're going to need a, a number one and a number two guy. Right,
1: and uh, you know what? Stevens has passed the test so far in my eyes. He's been oh, even killed. and he's yeah, he's he's not uh, been on a roller coaster as many coaches may experience it, it, when they first step into the NBA. He's the youngest coach in the league, but he's not showing it, Jeff.
2: He is. Listen, I know Brad probably as well as anybody from a media perspective over the years. I, I've said it for years. um, I go there every time to Butler when I went. I felt cleansed leaving Butler <laughs> because of Brad, because of the types of kids he brought in, because of the way they played. He he just – I talked to Kelly Olinick the other night about him, and I said, what do you think so far? He's like – he's unbelievable. You know, just how even-keeled he is, how his approach never wavers, how mature he is for his age. Brad Stevens is going to be a heck of a coach. He already is. We know that. You know, you got to surround him with more more talent. Bottom line is, he's done a great job with the hand he's been dealt. But how long can you sustain it? Now, I guess in the Eastern Conference, you could probably sustain it right now. But <laughs> yeah, right. right. But the bottom line is, think of how scary it would be to have Brad Stevens with a ton of talent to give. He's never had it. He was overmatched at Butler every single year, and he went to two NCAA championship games at Butler in the Horizon League. Now he's got this team that, frankly, I know people get on me when I say they're not very talented, but I think you guys can agree with that. They're not. I mean, they're just not right now. Put him up against almost any other team in the Eastern Conference, and he's going in with less cards in the deck. And and somehow he's coming out on top. And I I think a lot of it is because of him, because of him and and the way he deals with these players and the way he gets them to play hard, consistent. uh, And I think, again, he's a great X's and O's guy as well.
3: Yeah, Jeff, I think think you hit the nail on the head earlier. I mean, the Celtics, if you look at it, they've got the makings of, you know, a great four through – Eight or nine on the roster when you look at guys like Green, Bradley, Sullinger, Olinick. And then, you know, the, the the big question is where does Rondo fit in in terms of, you know, being one of those, those top three guys and, and who else can you bring to kind of put alongside him to, you know, kind of serve as, as the focal points. And, you know, earlier you mentioned that, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, Ballyhood names at the top of the draft this year that you see as more of kind of, you know, really solid number two guys, you know, with the possible exception of Wiggins, depending on his development. And, you know, for the folks that really want to see the Celtics going to dip into that, that the, the very top of the draft, you know, I have to wonder, you know, isn't it, you know, easier to potentially acquire that, that type of number two player, by other means, whether it's signing a free agent outright or whether it's taking some of these assets that you've got and kind of doing like they did in 08, you know, finding guys who've already proven themselves in the league but maybe haven't been in the right situation. And, you know, Ainge, you know, seems like he really understands the importance of of culture and having a stable organization that a guy can come in and flourish in, and that's what he's tried to create, I think, with the long-term contract for a guy like Stevens. And for me, that seems like the more – um, you know, efficient way at, you know, getting the team back into contention rather than relying on, you know, bringing some 19-year-old in and expecting him to not only develop in, you know, what might be a losing situation, but, um, you know, to stick around, um, you know, past that rookie contract when, you know, he can have a real impact. Yep.
2: I think you've got to do a combination of both. You know, I, I think right. you've got enough draft picks that you're going to have to hit it with one of these guys, and yep. you probably have Atlanta's this year uh, in your own which might both be somewhere between, you know, 12 and 20. Uh, And and I think a guy that, and I don't know their whole financial situation, but wouldn't it be interesting to see Brad Stevens reunited with Gordon Hayward and go Mm -hmm. after a guy like that? And, you know, I think he's a restricted free agent. And that's a guy, because you're not going to get LeBron. You're not going to get an elite (laughs) free agent to come here. You're just not. Not right now. And and I've said this before. I think having Rondo hurts you in that regard. Rondo's not a relationship guy. He's not a guy that knows a lot of these players around the league that are going to come to play with Rajon Rondo. So I think that'll hurt you getting the elite guys.
1: He's got to show it on the court. Yeah, He definitely does. And I I love you bringing up Gordon Hayward. I've been mentioning his name since they played, since Utah came to Boston for game one or two in the season earlier. I, I love that kid, and I think he'd be a great fit on this team. Jeff Goodman of ESPN, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow jeff on twitter at goodman espn jeff before we let you go since you are a draft expert over there who is your number one prospect right now
2: i have jabari parker at one i'm probably in the minority i have parker at one (laughs) uh he's just so skilled and you know what you're going to get uh andrew wiggins is a higher upside the kid from kansas he's so athletic so talented but, again, I, I just love Jabari Parker's toughness, his approach, his consistency. Um, I'm not sure what you're going to get out of Wiggins down the road.
1: Thank you, sir. We appreciate the call. As always, follow him you on Twitter, catch. at Goodman ESPN. See you, Thanks, Jeff. Jeff. All right,
0: great job, Matt and Rich, with Jeff. That was Jeff Goodman's maiden voyage on CLNS Radio. We later had Jeff back on the show, oh, not too long ago, and we look forward to having Jeff back again. Now let's uh, fast forward a little bit to the All-Star break. Our own Ty Ray had the opportunity to sit down with John Barry of ESPN and the great 14-year NBA veteran and son of the great Rick Barry. Let's go right to it.
4: Yeah, you're in New Orleans for the All-Star game. And the first question I wanted to ask you, John, has the All-Star weekend lost its luster? I mean, I think back to Bird in 86 with the three-point shooting. I think back to, of course, the dunk contest between Dominique and, and MJ. Has it lost its luster a bit, you think, over the years? Um,
5: I, I guess. I mean, I was watching NBA TV yesterday. They were showing all the dunk contests, and it was that dunk contest, Jordan and, and Dominique, and they were competing for $12,500. Uh, and it's, so it's like, why why can't we get our stars to come out here and do that? Uh, I wish Michael and, and Dominique would prod these guys to come out and do it. I mean, it, uh, it, it certainly lost a loss or this in particular. I, I, I think the three-point shootout is terrific. Uh, that's always been a, an exciting event. Uh, but certainly the dunk contest is, is not anywhere what it used to be. Obviously, the star power is very important with that. Uh, but, again, I, I still think it's a, it's a great weekend to celebrate, uh, you know, the best players in the world. And, and I think that uh, they're very appreciative. And uh, it's just been kind of a changing of the guard. We I think we were just so accustomed to all the names uh, that are truly one of the greatest uh, names in the NBA uh, that are gone now. And there's a lot of new names that are out there that, uh, that I think when we look back in, in the future uh, that maybe we'll feel the same way about the guys that are not there now.
4: What do you enjoy most about All-Star Weekend?
5: Uh, Well, competition-wise, the three-point shootout to me is is the best competition. And, uh, you know, it's also fun just to be around and and see all the greats that come back, the Hall of Fame that are here. Um, It's pretty neat when you just run into uh, different guys uh, at different events and uh, you just get to talk to them, and uh, they – Show nothing but respect, and uh, it's just it's fun to be you know in the company of uh, some of the greats that have ever played the
4: game. You're now lead analyst for ESPN. You're working with Kevin Calabro on radio. He's he's great. I know you know Kevin from your brother's days playing with the Sonics. Talk about your guys's relationship this year and how that's grown and how much fun you're having.
5: Kev is one, he's got some of the best pipes in the business. There's no question about it. He's uh, he's amazing. I used to love you know when i was watching my brother you know here in kevin on the calls of the sonics and uh he's great to work with he's uh he knows the game uh we have a lot of fun we've only worked about seven or eight times this year thus far uh we haven't had a big schedule but uh, looking forward to the playoffs uh you know we always get good games we do most of the TNT games on thursday which are always good matchups and uh uh, really enjoy you know just being being at those at those games and, and doing radio which is a lot different than TV um but we've had a good experience and uh, look forward to a great playoff run
4: you enjoying radio
3: yeah you
5: know it's fine it's it's different it's uh you know you got to be real concise uh it it's basically a play by play guy show because uh he's got to you know obviously explain the action that's going on and so if you're playing two teams particularly that like to get up and down the floor, uh my workload's not that heavy because you got to get in and out. So, uh <laughs> right. It, it's a lot different, but uh again, it's uh, it's fun to be at the at the marquee games and uh, you know, looking forward to conference finals and then potentially the finals.
4: It's been a couple of weeks since Commissioner Stern left his position. What are your thoughts on his time at the helm?
5: Well, in- incredible. You know, you just look at the average salary and the the TV coverage and the amount of teams that he's put into the league and just where it is as a whole. And he changed the whole, uh, the whole branding of the NBA into these superstar players. And, uh, it is an incredible job. I mean, this is, uh, he's made this a global basketball, a global league. Uh, it's 215 different countries. I think is, you know, cover the finals. And, um, he he was incredible and he was uh he ran it his way and uh, i think we can already see that you know adam silver is is going to be a different regime uh, there's no question about it he seems to be a lot more open to discussing certain matters where uh, david was basically his my way or the highway so uh, i think we're in for some some different different things on the horizon with the nba and adam silver's hands.
4: and he's talking about raising the age limit right to 20 years old, which is one of the first stamps I think he wants to do.
5: I would be all for that. I'd love to see kids uh, play at least a couple years in college. Um, I think it would help the college game. It would help our game. Uh, A lot of these kids just aren't ready to go. I mean, you take a look at this year's draft. uh, as a perfect example of uh, players that just aren't quite ready to do it at this point. And I know there's a ton of talk about the kids that are in college right now. Yeah, particularly those five or six guys, uh, but you know, I don't. Maybe somebody will be, uh, you know, a Kobe Bryant uh, or a LeBron James. It, it certainly doesn't look that way right now, uh, but I, I just think players need to learn how to play the game correctly, and they need to stay in school. and I'd love to see it go to twenty.
4: Yeah, let's talk about this year's draft because there's all sorts of chatter about teams tanking on purpose to get the top guys in this year's draft. Do you see any evidence of that?
5: No. I just see that there's a lot of bad teams, uh, particularly in the Eastern Conference. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody's tanking. You go out to try to win uh, each and every game. I, I, I think teams would try to do that. Um, but, again, who's to say that these guys are going to be franchise players? I don't know, obviously. Uh, I think they're all very talented. Uh, There seems to be a a pretty deep draft of players. But, uh, again, I don't think uh, there's any clear-cut number one pick that's going to be a guy that you're going to build a franchise around.
4: I actually covered the Nuggets, John, when you played there with Carmelo his rookie season. And I remember talking to Kiki Vandaway when he was GM down there. They nearly took Darko if the ping-pong balls bounced (laughs) the, the wrong direction. That'll tell you what tanking will do for you.
5: Yeah, you know, and also I, I, I'm i not sure the exact uh, percentage, but the, the team that has the the best chance to win the lottery is only won maybe a couple times. Uh, so that's exactly why they've done the lottery, because uh, they don't want you to tank, then you get an auto, automatic uh, first pick if you're the worst team. So that has worked. Uh, I know Adam Silver's talked about possibly changing the lottery, uh, doing a rotation thing, I, I've heard uh, which I, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but everybody would get a chance to get a number one pick over a course of 30 years. That would be pretty strange. But uh, all in all, I think uh, you know it's a it's a good system, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all these young players come out. There's a bunch of good good names in college. There's no question about that.
4: Any idea why the West is so talent heavy right now compared to the East?
5: It just seems to fluctuate. You know, a few years ago, it was the East that was dominant. And, you know, it's flip-flopped, and I I, I don't know the explanation. I really don't. Um, It's it's clearly uh, the West is much, much stronger, but I still do think the best two teams in basketball. Well, no, I have to take that back. Indiana and Miami uh, were my top two teams coming into the season. Now, OKC, I think you have to put... Uh, right there at the top, but those are the three best teams in basketball.
4: So we're 50 games or more into the season, depending on what team. Who's your biggest surprise this year in the NBA? Is it the Suns?
5: Well, the Suns are there, but Portland as well. I I certainly didn't see Portland uh, being 19 games over 500. I believe that's where they are, Uh, but a great story in Phoenix. I mean, everybody said that that would be one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, They've been terrific. Jeff Hornacek has done an incredible job. Uh, them along with Portland, and you know I, I'm surprised where OKC is based on the fact that they lose Russell Westbrook. Uh, they had the best record in the league here at the br- at the break, at 43 and 12, I believe. Uh, incredible what Kevin Durant's been able to do, and uh, Scott Brooks I think continues to get better as a coach. And You know, very rarely do we talk about coaches getting better. It's always about players, but I think Scott Brooks has uh, has become a better coach. And uh, right now, OKC, I would think, would be the favorite to come out of the West.
4: Durant, your MVP?
5: Yeah, I guess. I mean, LeBron, I think, is, is, is probably getting tired of that talk based on what we him do <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, it, it's a tough one to me because I, I do believe LeBron James is the best player in basketball. And it's a lot like when Michael Jordan was in the league. Uh, you know, I think everybody knew that he was the best player in basketball, so why didn't he win the MVP every year? Uh, I don't know. People get tired of it, I guess. Uh, but LeBron James is the best player in basketball, and his role is different than Kevin Durant. Obviously, without Rustbrook, uh there's going to be a lot more opportunity for Durant. He has to score the basketball for them to win. LeBron James doesn't. Uh, you see when Dwayne Wade doesn't play in games, LeBron James can go get 36 points like he did uh, the other night in Golden State and hit a game winner. Uh, so it's just a matter of what needs to be done to win. LeBron's not asked to carry the scoring load on a nightly basis, but he's certainly capable of putting up big numbers. And if he wanted to lead the league in scoring, I believe he could. Do
4: you have any problem with that Mount Rushmore talk at all?
5: No, that's what makes it fun, you know. Uh, I was We just brought it up at lunch. I had a meeting here today before <laughs> we talked about the Mount Rushmore. And it's fun because everybody's going to have different, you know. I, I, you, you can talk about the guys in the past. You can talk about the guys in the future uh, or that are playing right now. And, you know, do you put Wilt on there? Do you put Kareem? Do you put Russell? Do you put, you know, who knows? I mean, it's, that, that's what makes it fun. And uh, I think Michael Jordan seems to be the only one that everybody's going to have as one of their four based on all the guys that I've talked to and we've talked about doing, Michael Jordan seems like the only one that everybody is unanimously, unanimously uh, unanimous about. Excuse me.
4: I know a guy that would love to be there, and that's Carmelo Anthony, who is an amazing scorer. I covered him when you were on the team in Denver, as I said earlier, in Denver. And what is going on there? What is going on with the New York Knicks? How can you go from having the season they had a year ago to a season like this? It's a complete disaster.
5: Yeah, you know, injuries have played a part. Uh, you know, it was a team last year that, uh, man, it, they, they didn't play a whole lot different than they play now. I'm talking style of play. They, they made difficult shots last year. They were a one-on-one team. Uh, they had a bunch of players that, uh, that shot the ball extremely well. Um, you know, there were a few pieces that have left. Uh, you know, a guy like Novak uh, left the team who spaced the floor. Uh, I don't think Felton's play uh, has been anywhere near where he was last year. J.R. Smith not playing as well. Chandler in and out of the lineup. Kenyon Martin in and out of the lineup. Uh, Stoudemire, I think, has played very well in his limited minutes. Uh, he says there should be no restriction on his minutes at this point. Uh, but it is a... Uh, it's been a, a, a awful season for them. I think it's going to get tougher. Um, I think they've lost 19 home games already. They only have 10 home games, I believe, in the whole second half of the season, so they're going to be on the road. Uh, so it's going to be tough. There's no guarantee they're going to make it. And Even if you, even if you do make it, you know, you're talking about the New York Knicks. Where is your team in the future? What's going to happen to Carmelo Anthony? Does he want to stay and get the extra $30 million? Does he feel like he needs to win? Uh, to solidify where he stands, uh, when you look at him as being one of the best in the in the game, it's about winning. And if he goes back to the Knicks, that team's not winning next year, and it's not winning the next year after that. This team has got a lot of work that needs to be done. So we'll be interested to see what happens to Carmelo this summer.
4: Can you build around him?
5: Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a guy that just he he's, he scores a basketball, and that's what he does, and that's what he does very well. Uh, and I think you just have to have the right personnel around them. Um I enjoyed my time with him in Denver. I thought he was terrific. Uh, that team, I believe, won 17 games the year prior to his arrival and won That's 40, right. 43 the next year. So uh, the guy does want to win. Um, I, I think he's the, he's kind of the lightning rod when things don't go well. Uh, you always look to the best player, and uh, I, I don't think that uh, – this Nick team he's put in the in the correct positions at times I think he has to take shots that uh because it's forced on him uh, they stand they watch him and uh it's a, it's a difficult situation again I think you just have to put the right personnel around him and I do believe he's good enough to lead a team to a championship
4: John it's an all-star weekend and yet it's really strange for us that follow the Boston Celtics, not to have anybody in the All-Star game really representing the city of Boston. How long is it going to take this franchise to get back on top?
5: Yeah, I, I don't know. This is a, a kind of a hodgepodge year with all the players that, um, you know, there's a question marks about who's even going to be there next year. I, I don't think they have a whole lot of guys under contract. There's obviously a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of draft picks. Um, can, are you going to build around Rajon Rondo? I don't know. Uh, where does Jeff Green stand? Um, I, there's a ton of questions. Uh, Danny Ainge is a guy that's pretty active. He doesn't like to, you know, stand still here. I think he will be active. Uh, who knows what's going to happen here before the trade deadline. Uh, but again, the question is do you build around Rajon Rondo? Uh, that's the biggest question uh, for the Boston Celtics, uh, and I don't know the answer to that.
4: Would you rather be the Celtics than, say, like the 76ers or the Lakers who look a mess right now or some of the other teams like the Bucks that are in the rebuilding process?
5: Yeah, you know, I, I like some of the pieces that they have. Uh, I certainly would not want to be in Milwaukee at all. Uh, nine wins thus far, I guess, this season. But, uh, yeah, Boston's got some nice pieces. You know, Avery Bradley uh, is a guy, you know, I think he's coming up for contract as well. Uh, That's right. You know, so... You know, but between Rondo and Bradley, uh, Jeff Green, you know, who's kind of an enigma. Uh, we see the guy play incredible basketball one night, and the next night, you don't even know he's on the floor. Uh, I think Sullinger's a guy you gotta like. Olenek is a guy that's gonna be around, be in this league for a long time. So uh, there are some nice pieces. It's a matter of you know what Danny's gonna do, how aggressive he's gonna be uh, this off season. There's gonna have to be a trade. Basically, 2015 is the year of the free agent. Uh, There are a few out there now, but I don't think anybody's really going to take off from their teams. Uh, So we'll see after next year is basically when uh, I think Danny Ainge is going to get real aggressive.
4: John, you mentioned Jeff Green. Have you ever seen a player like him where he can go off one night and just look like the best player in the NBA, make it look so effortless, and then the following night he comes up with uh, single digits? It's amazing.
5: Yeah, no, it's uh, – there's been guys that have been inconsistent, certainly. Um, you know, and I I can't explain it, obviously. I'm not there on a nightly basis. But like sure, that he looks like a guy that, you know, some evenings he's he's a, a clear number one option that you build a team around. And then there's other nights, like, again, you, you just don't see him at all. So um, that's another question mark. What, what are they going to do there? Uh, is he a guy that you want around? I think – you know, he came into the league as a number three option basically playing with Durant and Westbrook. Uh seemed to assume that role pretty well. Uh so Boston had to find two guys that are gonna be guys that are be ahead of him. But right now he's their best scorer and uh I don't know that he's capable of doing that on a nightly basis.
4: John Barry, thanks for joining us on Celtic Speed today. Much appreciated.
5: Okay, you got it.
0: All right, Ty and John, thank you once again. I spoke with Brent Barry, John's brother, a little later. We'll probably have both those Barry brothers on back over the course of the season. But I guess I have to throw myself in here. I got to go with one of my favorite guests. Let's get right to Ian Eagle. You're uh, more than a busy man. We know that voice of the Nets. You work for CBS. I mean, what, what else do you do as well? I know you do so many more endeavors as well.
6: Ah, women's field hockey. Larry, that's, that's a passion, a uh, very deep passion. No, no, I don't do that. But I do a lot of stuff, uh, tennis and some golf, uh, obviously NFL and college basketball, NBA. So this is really a fun time of year when, when the college basketball Final Four is rounding into form and, and the NBA playoffs are just around the corner.
0: Yeah, you've been calling the games for CBS. You're talking to someone who doesn't watch much college basketball, as much NBA basketball as I watch. Not much college, so you've been around it. Tell me what you've seen so far.
6: Well, you know, it's interesting. You're an NBA guy, and I think there are those out there that will say that, oh, I love the college game. Uh, It's so much of a pure game, and and that's that's a load of baloney, Uh, let's face it. Uh, Anyone that that follows the NBA, that truly appreciates the NBA, recognizes that the level of play in the NBA is exceptional. And there's a chance on any given night that you're going to see something out there on the court based on athleticism, uh, based on the the competitive nature of the league that you've never seen before. With that said, the ambiance of college basketball games, uh, the environment, the effort level that these kids are putting forth is so high And the stakes are high uh, because for the majority of the players, this is it. This is the highest level they're ever going to play at. These are the moments that they're going to embed into their brain for the rest of time and the memories that they're going to be able to carry with them uh, later on when they have children, when they have grandchildren. So I've done the NCAA tournament for 17 years, and I really believe every time that I do one of these games that – Uh, There's a responsibility that comes along with it. Uh, So it's been a great tournament. It's been uh, everything that any college basketball fan would hope for. You've seen the upsets. But ultimately, you've seen four excellent teams emerge here and pretty good matchups for the Final Four later on tonight. Uh, I'm not sure you could have scripted it any better considering the four teams that have been left standing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be tuning in, obviously. I know Danny Ainge is going to be tuning in, as well as many Celtics fans. Before we get to the draft prospects, it seems that Florida seems to be the overwhelming favorite. Uh, is there any chance, really, that they're not going to come out of here with this?
6: Yeah, there is a chance, uh, because as good as they are, as balanced as they are, they're the most balanced team of the Final Four. They were the most balanced team coming into this tournament, the number one team in the country. They don't necessarily blow your doors off. They do it in an efficient way. Uh, They can strike quickly. Scotty Wilbekin's a player that has matured immensely over the last year and change, to the point last year where uh, they had gotten sick of his shenanigans, his immaturity. Billy Donovan basically read him the riot act and said, look, if it doesn't change, we're going to ask you to transfer. We're going to ask you to leave the program. Well, he got the message loud and clear. He's become a leader for this team. He sat back, and and while he was a reserve player for two years behind Irving Walker and Kenny Boyden, he did sit back and, and take a lot of it in. Those guys were good leaders. They were leaders by example. They were hard workers, and Wilbekin has really become a go-to guy for Florida Patrick Young is a four-year player for this program. He understands his role. He doesn't go outside of his role. Casey Prather is an improved player from last year to this year. His scoring average has jumped nearly 10 points per game. Uh, That's a guy that finally understood what Billy Donovan wanted from him, not to sit back on the perimeter and shoot threes. He was doing that at a 29% clip his junior year. In his senior year, Donovan's message finally got through to Prather. Go to the rim, attack the basket, use your length, uh, take advantage of mismatches. So it's all come together well for this Florida team. They're 36 and two, as you mentioned. They are the favorite in this Final Four, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to say overwhelming, because UConn is a team that's riding on a lot of emotion right now. They've got a lead guard in Shabazz Napier who's exciting. He's dynamic. He can put that Husky team on his back and has done it already. Uh, he's a guy that can can really carry the team, uh, very Kemba Walker-like from a couple of years ago when UConn won the title behind Walker and his scintillating play. So this is a team that, that has belief now, UConn, and they're they're doing it based on the instructions of a longtime NBA guy, Kevin Ollie, who played 13 years in the league, bounced around the league, but learned a lot. And as a two-year assistant under Jim Calhoun, I think he really started to devise what his approach would be, what his his uh, whole mentality and philosophy would be as a head coach. And despite the fact that UConn was not eligible for the tournament last year, I think Kevin Ollie behind the scenes was planting seeds, was telling them how much of a factor they were going to be a year later. And all of that is coming to fruition right now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Kevin Ollie's name. I know that he's been actually mentioned as a possible consideration for coach. I know he had Sean Devaney a Sporting News on just a few weeks ago, and I believe he even mentioned him as a possible candidate for the Lakers job, of all things. I mean, here was a guy who was just in the NBA, it feels like, just a few years ago.
6: Yeah, very, very well respected, Larry, when he was a player. He was not the most talented guy. There's a reason why GMs and coaches liked having him around, you know it's funny, uh, obviously the headlines and as as I know your background with the NBA, the headlines are usually the top five, seven, eight players, ten players on a roster. but one of the real hidden gems is a guy that can hang around as the thirteenth, 14th guy on a team year in year out. There's something to that. There's a reason why that's happening. Kevin Ollie was never a star in the NBA. He was a guy that had to scratch and claw uh, to make a roster every year, but I think it it shows how well thought of he was around this league, that he could do that, that he could survive as long as he did and then make the, the smooth transition uh, to going back to his alma mater and being trusted with a team and a, and a program that was run at an exceptionally high level by Jim Calhoun, a basketball Hall of Famer, multiple championships. So for him to to make that smooth segue into being a head coach, uh, it's not lost on me. It's It's a terrific story.
0: So let's shift more now to these players, these future draft picks here. There's been a lot of talk regarding that if they're overrated or not. I know going into the season, this was a very hyped freshman class, but it seemed to fizzle out throughout the season because people were saying, well, these guys aren't going to be franchise changers. These guys aren't going to be like what Patrick Ewing was when he came out of college or, or right. Duncan. Where do you stand on where these players, I know Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, he was on our show last week. He said, no, I think it's about five guys that could could be all-stars in this league. You've been watching these games for, with CBS calling a lot of games every weekend. Where do you stand on the Andrew Wiggins' and the Joel Embiid's and Jabari Parkers and whatnot?
6: Yeah, I, I buy into that. I buy into Chris's assessment. Uh, I think you've got impact players in this draft. The the issue really becomes how quickly you need them to be impact players. Uh, I I do believe that what we've seen, uh, based on the fact that the one-and-dones have become so popular, that... Often it's it's asking too much of these players too soon, and the guys, some of the guys that you mentioned, Tim Duncan or David Robinson or Shaquille O'Neal, these guys were in college uh, multiple years, sometimes all four years, and they came into the league ready to contribute right away. And some found themselves in better situation than, than others. We understand that if you go to a really bad team, there's a reason why that team was so bad and one guy is not going to change all that. So uh, I think you've got to weigh the circumstances, and then uh, coaching becomes a big key to me. Uh, NBA coaches, look, there's not a lot of practice time in this league. We understand that. There's not a whole lot of time to develop talent. But certain guys have a knack. Certain guys have an understanding of how to work a player in, how to avoid uh, the trappings of rookie seasons. Running into the rookie wall, m- massaging minutes, uh, having leaders in that locker room that that a young player can lean on. Uh, can Andrew Wiggins be a legitimate NBA talent? Absolutely. Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid, uh, these guys have the have the skills to do it, but to automatically tell you that they're gonna be superstars. I can't. I can't say it until I know what team they're going to, what the coaching staff looks like, and what kind of support they have on that team in order to foster their career along.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's the argument that I've been trying to make as as well as so many others on this show is a lot of these I mean we have a tendency to sort of blame GMs and point at this guy and oh what a bust he was and oh what a bust that was most of the time, when you see these players succeed, obviously they have to have their great individual talents, but they gotta—they have to be around a pretty good culture. I mean, you see how the Spurs develop guys. They don't develop the best players, but they... I would say not every single young player that runs through their system becomes exceptional, but you give them that kind of surrounding they do. Well, when you bring these guys in a into 15 to 20-win teams every single yep. year, and they just are losing and losing and losing... It's like us in a bad working environment and you lose your own personal motivation, your own personal motivation to get better. So it's I think a lot of these guys I think it's safe to say that they're not Duncan coming out of Wake Forest or whatever or like or even as well, we didn't see LeBron James in college, but we knew that LeBron was going to be LeBron. But he's
6: also a once-in-a-lifetime player. We're talking about certain guys that have emerged as some of the best to ever play. In my mind, we've got to lower the expectations. It can't be an automatic that you assume, well, if you're going top five in this draft, you better be a superstar. Uh, there are guys that have long careers, successful careers in this league, make multiple all-star teams, but aren't quite at that epic level. Uh, the example that I was thinking, is the moment that you started talking about uh, teams that do it the right way, let's take a Kawhi Leonard as an example, the San Antonio Spurs, Kawhi Leonard is going to make the all-star team in the Western Conference eventually. I don't know if it's going to be as soon as next year. I don't know if it's going to take two more years. Uh, eventually that guy's talent level is too high, and his now background being around the players that he's been around for the last couple of years, uh, it, it's overwhelming in his favor. You take the same player coming out of San Diego State and put him on the Sacramento Kings, I don't know what his future would have been. They may have needed too much of him too soon. He may have gotten into some bad habits. He may have uh, fallen into some of the trappings of being in the NBA, being a young guy making a lot of money. I just know the checks and balances were in place for him to be successful in San Antonio. And Greg Popovich, R.C. Buford, the front office with the Spurs, it's like a machine. They know what they're doing and if it's not working, they move on. They're willing to accept mistakes in San Antonio. That's the other part of being successful. You can make a mistake, and then you remedy that mistake by either trading a player away, by cutting him, or by moving in a different direction.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Sacramento. I think they're the prime example. It seems like they always have these very nice young players that get off of these good starts to their career, but eventually they fizzle out, I think, like Jason Thompson, Marcus Thornton, who's actually now playing for uh, the Nets right now, and they just sort of they they sort of they sort of str- struggle once they get paid. I want to shift gears a little, not well, not shift gears a little, but I want to ask you about Tyler Ennis because I know you're a Syracuse alum, and unlike their are al- alumni in broadcast media like there's yourself and Sean McDonough and many others, Bob Costas their players haven't done, so, done too well when they go to the professional ranks. I think it's John, you know, John Wallace, Billy Owens, uh, Derek Coleman, Johnny Flynn. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Tyler Ennis?
6: Well, I would take, I would take each player individually, and, and I'm not sure that I would, I would put the whole blanket over Syracuse players in general, although uh, you're right. It hasn't been this path to, to the Hall of Fame Uh, Ennis is a separate case. Uh, I'm not going to compare him to Sherman Douglas or Jason Hart or other Syracuse point guards, Johnny Flynn, that that recently came through the ranks. I'm just going to look at him specifically and tell you that he's got a high skill level. He's got a knack. He's got a winning mentality. Everything I heard from people that are associated with the program said he worked hard, good kid, likable, is dedicated. Physically he's going to have a tough time in this league right away. He's going to have a tough time. Look at his body right now, and and it's, it's going to be a big challenge for him to go to the next level and be able to handle the wear and tear of playing that position in the NBA. That's not to say that he can't gain some strength, he can't get, Uh, picked by a team that has an excellent strength and conditioning coach that gets him on a program. His body, he's young, is still going to develop and and still going to mature. But that point guard position is so difficult because you need to have the respect of your teammates. There has to be a leadership ability innate to you in order uh, to be successful in that position in the NBA. Sean Livingston, uh, now with the Nets is one of the feel-good stories of the season. He really is. Uh, The way he's played, the way his body has bounced back from that horrific leg injury. In talking to Jason Kidd this year on numerous occasions, when I brought up Sean Livingston's name, he has said definitively, best point guard he's ever seen coming out of high school. And we tend to forget that Sean Livingston was not blowing away the competition before the leg injury. It was all about promise. It was all about upside Uh, You looked at his length, you looked at his explosive ability, and thought, wow, at some point this guy could be a big-time player in the NBA. But before the leg injury, he was not a big-time player in the NBA. It's hard to play point guard at at this level. And for Tyler Ennis, who uh, had a spectacular season for Syracuse and did everything that they could have hoped for and then some, uh, I think it's going to be a very tough transition for him physically. Someone's going to take him in the first round, and they should. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, that, that I'd like to see develop on my team. But if you're taking him with the idea that he's going to run your team in his rookie year, I, I think it's, it's asking a lot.
3: Hello, Ian. Uh, this
5: is Andre. I'm going to uh, shift gears a little bit to our Celtics Beat fan question of the day, which comes from Samuel. To get your question asked on future shows, log on to Facebook.com, slash Celtics beat and pitch your question. Samuel wants to know if you think Paul Pierce, a free agent at the end of the year, and Kevin Garnett, currently out with an injury, will be back in Brooklyn next year.
6: Well, it's a great question, Samuel. I think if you asked me that question six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, uh, I might have waffled on it because Pierce at that point was just starting to warm up to the idea of putting on that Nets uniform on a nightly basis. Uh, I think he still was having a tough time leaving Boston. Uh, The emotional return to TD Garden did a lot for Paul to create some closure. I really believe that. And they did just an incredible job uh, honoring him, honoring Kevin Garnett. Uh, There was a lot of anticipation, as we know, for that late January meeting. And it lived up to it. It lived up to the hype. But I think it also allowed Pierce, in particular, to move on. And he has since embraced the idea of being a part of this Brooklyn Nets franchise. He's engaged with the crowd. He's just more at ease. I think he's become himself again. Just being around him and and watching him interact with his teammates and the coaches, Uh, he's back to the guy that, that Celtic fans fell in love with for so many years as a member of that team. So, uh, to answer your question on the Pierce end, I think he's going to be back. I think he's he's going to end up signing a two-year deal and and they'll pay him. He'll he'll get his money with the Nets. They understand his role on this team and and the fact that there is a leadership and an edge that he brings uh, to this franchise. Uh, the Garnett storyline is yet to be written. Uh, physically, uh, this season has been taxing on him, and he's such a proud guy, and I don't think he would ever, ever admit to it publicly because it's it's just not in his DNA. But it's been a challenging season for him, dealing with the back issues, not having his body respond the way that it has in previous years as a member of the Celtics and the Timberwolves. So. Whenever this run is over, whatever happens in the postseason, uh, Garnett very well could play a really big role in the Nets' success or their shortcomings in the playoffs. I don't know if he's made his mind up yet, and I think there's going to be a lot of soul-searching on his part. He's not the kind of guy that strikes me that's going to just hold on to get the paycheck. If he can't bring it anymore the way he's accustomed to, and if he doesn't believe he can play at the level that he has come to expect out of himself, uh, I could see KG retiring.
0: That was the case, sort of, too, a couple of years ago when Boston was making that run of the Eastern Conference Finals. Garnett was really dealing with a lot of injuries that year. And he was the best player on that team. I took the heat to the seventh game, but there was a serious question at the end of the year whether or not he would retire because... It seemed that he really, it's not that he have anything left in the tank, but you could just see that he was physically gassed. All right, Ian, I really want to get you out here on this. We're going to cheat, and we're going to do something that's never been done on this show ever because it's only a 60-minute show. We know that you do preseason games for the New York Jets, so in just a very few seconds before we let you go, tell our Boston or Slash New England audience a little bit about Darrell Rivas.
3: Oh, yeah.
6: How about that? Darrell Revis, really proud guy uh, and wears it on his sleeve. Uh, I I would say as confident a guy as I've been around at that position in in my years doing the NFL, uh, which has now been 18 years, uh, he's got a belief. uh, He's got that swagger that he brings, and it's served him well. Uh, But with that said, well-liked by his teammates. I think, I think Patriot fans are going to love him. I think Bill Belichick is going to love him. He already does, having gone against him for all those years. Uh, to me, that, that really was a perfect marriage. Uh, that, that was one of the biggest moves during the offseason. And as long as he can bounce back physically, he brings the kind of mentality that, that the Patriots are looking for. Uh, and as, as successful as he's been individually, at the core, he is a team guy. Uh, there, there is a likability factor with him uh, that uh, teammates always gravitated towards when he was a member of the Jets.
0: Can't wait to hear you call games with Dan Fouts on CBS. I think you guys are the best team they got. But uh, I and Eagle, yes, Network, CBS Sports, and many other outlets as well. Just citizen of the citizen of the world, really. Thank you so much for joining us on Celtics Beat this Saturday.
6: Guys, anytime. Hopefully, uh, this is the first of numerous appearances down the road.
0: Absolutely, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, guys. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Officially, the 2014 NBA season here at Celtics Beat is in the books, and now it's time to get ready for 2015. You know, can you believe this? Training camp is right around the corner, but we'll be back live here on CLNS Radio every Saturday, and if you can't catch that, you'll be we'll be releasing shows on iTunes and Stitcher, so be sure to check us out. 2015, laundry list of star-studded guests to headline our shows. Can't wait for that, but that's going to do it for this week's show. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Lagratto Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank all of our great guests that we've had over the past few months. For myself, executive producer Larry H. Russell, see you guys next Saturday exclusively on CNS Radio.